0: Learn all about investing in real estate in Chicago, Illinois, with a combination of real estate financial planning and modeling with numbers specific to Chicago. Plus, syndicated, more generalized recordings of live and pre-recorded real estate investing classes, not all of them specific to Chicago. Be sure to stay tuned after the podcast for a message from our sponsors. Well, good morning and welcome, everyone. I am your host, James Orr, and today we have a very short class, but it is an important class. It's the class about what is private mortgage insurance and how to avoid it. We're going to go over basically what the private mortgage insurance or PMI is, and then like all the different ways that we can avoid having to pay it, including putting enough down so that we don't qualify for having to pay PMI. So let's jump right into it. So what is private mortgage insurance or PMI? The Consumer Financial Protection Bureau website defines PMI as private mortgage insurance, also called PMI, is a type of mortgage insurance you might be required to pay for if you have a conventional loan. Like other kinds of mortgage insurance, PMI protects the lender, not you, if you stop making payments on your loan. So really, this is how I like to describe it. This is my layman's version of what private mortgage insurance is. You go to a lender and you say, hey, Mr. And Mrs. Lender, I would like to go buy this property. They say, great, we would love for you to buy this property. We will loan you money in order to do that. They're like, okay, I would like to put 5% down. They're like, well, I would like you to put 20% down. And you're like, no, I really would like to put less than 20% down. I'd like to put 5% down. And so they say to you, okay, I'll tell you what. You pushed hard enough. We would be willing to make you a loan and allow you to put less than 20% down. However, we're concerned that if you decide for whatever reason, something happens to you or the world falls apart, that you may stop paying on this mortgage and walk away. And if you do that and you only put 5% down, we could lose money. We might have to take the property back. We might have to pay some expenses to get the property back. We may have to wait for several months while we're waiting to actually be able to foreclose and get the property back. We may need to do some repairs on the property when we get it back. We may need to hire a real estate agent um, in order to sell the property and pay them a commission. We may need to um, hire our attorneys to do the foreclosure. So we might have some pretty significant expenses. And we're concerned if that does happen, then having 5% of equity in the property might not allow us to get all of our money back. In other words, we could not walk away with ninety-five percent of the property value. Should you be, you know, like like, um, should you default on the loan and we have to foreclose and get it back? So I'll tell you what we're willing to do: if you go pay this third-party company, this insurance company, and this insurance company is going to protect us in case you default and we end up losing money on the deal then we will go ahead and accept your 5% down payment. And because it's a little riskier for us to do this too, we will also charge you a small premium on the interest rate. So that's what's going on. I mean, the the mortgage company, they want to make you the loan, but they want you to put 20% down. But you really push hard enough. You're like, look, no, I don't want to put 20% down. I really want to put 5% down, or 7% down, or 10% down, or 3.5% down, or 0% down. I really want to do one of these other loans like USDA, or VA, or uh, FHA, or, um, you know, even conventional with 5% down. And yes, some of those I realize don't have mortgage insurance, like the VA, they have a funding fee instead, I understand that. But the idea is that they would prefer you to put 20% down. And you're telling them, I would prefer to do another loan where I put less down. And they say, well, Okay, we'd be willing to do that. It's going to be riskier for us, so we're going to charge you a higher mortgage interest rate, and we need you. We require you to go pay this third-party private mortgage insurance company that will protect us in case you default. It shifts some of the risk of you defaulting from the lender to the insurance company. So they're sharing in the risk now. The insurance company is collecting these premiums, and they've, they've calculated it such that they're profitable, they're collecting more money from all the people paying private mortgage insurance than what they're having to pay out to lenders. And during really good times, when the market's going up 5, 6, 7, 10, 15% per year, they're probably doing really, really well. But they don't know that the market is going up when they do the initial private mortgage insurance. It could go up for six months and then it could go down a lot. And then they'd be on the hook for a lot of these things. So they have to look at the aggregate, of all the different people, all the different markets over time and say, okay, now we think we're gonna be profitable by collecting this premium from you and being able to pay out in case you know, you default and they have to pay to the lender to protect the lender. Okay, Now for FHA loans, PMI is called mortgage insurance premium. Same thing, right? Same idea, it's, it's still protecting the lender. Um, they have they an have upfront version, and then they have both, an, and in addition to that, they have an annual version. So the upfront one is called, as you might have guessed, upfront mortgage insurance premium. That's the one you pay when you get your loan. There's a fee you pay when you get the loan upfront. Plus, there's an annual, usually paid monthly, mortgage insurance premium, MIP on FHA loans. For conventional financing, it's just called PMI, private mortgage insurance, okay? Now, how do you avoid it? The really simple way is put down 20%. I'm going to go over some other things we can we can use to avoid it. But remember what we, how we discussed this, right? The lender says, look, I would love to make you a loan, but I would require 20% down. And you're like, no, I would rather not put 20% down. And they're like, okay, you pushed hard enough. I would be willing to give you this loan for less than 20% down, but you will have to get this private mortgage insurance. Well, one way to not have to pay PMI is put 20% down, okay? Now, there's some other ways to do it, too. Um, But I I do want to comment on this 20% down idea. There is a belief out there. And it's a belief I'm working hard to help people understand the nuances to it because it's not always 100% true. But there's a belief out there that, look, I want to go put down this minimal amount. I want to get maximum leverage. I want to get the maximum return I can get on this very small down payment that I'm making. And it is true that when you do put less down, it amplifies returns. Honestly, it amplifies returns in both directions. If you have negative cash flow, it amplifies that negative cash flow return, which is negative. And if you put less down, it also amplifies any type of things that go against you. Like if property values happen to go down, that gets amplified too. So it's an amplified return, not always a better return. Subtle point, okay? Now, So a lot of investors want to put minimal amount down in order to be able to make these investments. And I think the other reason why is they think to themselves, look, I'm going to put this small amount down and I'm going to be able to buy more properties, have a bigger asset base, get to my financial independence goal faster by having more properties acquired quicker. And what's interesting is that is not always true. And I've done math on this in 300 US cities and I continue to do classes on this. So if you haven't heard one of those classes where I talk about, is it better to do one thing or another? We do this comparison in some of those classes where we say, look, instead of you going and doing like a nomad strategy where you put 5% down, you buy a property, you live there for at least a year until you save up the next down payment and you've lived there for a year, which is a requirement of the lender. Then you go buy your next property with 5% down. You convert the previous one to a rental and you repeat this process and you're able to acquire properties relatively quickly with relatively low amounts of capital invested you're putting 5% down every every time you do this. When we compare that strategy to taking the extra time to save up for a full 20% down or 25% down or heaven forbid, save up 100% and buy a property with no mortgage, completely unleveraged. Sometimes it is faster for you to have saved up for 20% down than it was for you to save up for the 5% down. Maybe not faster to buy your first property. But faster to get to financial independence. And it blows people's minds every time I show them the math because it's counterintuitive a lot of times, right? You think to yourself, hey, I'm going really slow in the beginning because I'm taking this extra time in order to buy my first property. But by the time you buy your first property, that property may help you save up for the second one. Whereas when you buy it with 5% down, it may have slightly negative cash flow or very little positive cash flow or maybe a lot of negative cash flow, depending on your market, okay? And if by doing that, it actually slows down how quickly you can acquire your next property in a lot of cases, okay? And it is really hard to be financially independent when your properties are cash flowing $20, $50, $100 a month. You need a lot of those small cash flow properties in order to be financially independent. Whereas if you saved up and you bought a property with 100% down, no mortgage at all, that generates a lot of cash flow because you don't have a mortgage on it, which makes sense. And so in those cases, you don't need that many. And once you buy the first one, the amount, that, the amount of money that that is generating helps you buy the second one because the cash flow from it is so great. The speed, the, the time it takes you to acquire your second free and clear property is much faster than the first one. Yeah, the first one seems like it takes forever, but if you measure the time it takes you to be financially dependent, comparing putting like 5% down or 20% down, or 25% down to buying properties free and clear. It is not nearly that much longer than you might think it might be. It's probably longer in a lot of cities, but it's not as much longer as you think. It's not like it takes you three times as long. In some cases, it's like a year or two. And then you don't have any risk of leverage in that case. You don't have any PMI. You've, you've really optimized your investment in that way. Not optimize your return on investment, but optimize the investment. You're getting like a really big chunk of return on it. Okay, I've kind of diverged there. So when you put 20% down, it may require you to save up for a longer time, which may mean you're buying a more expensive property because property values are probably going up, right? Not necessarily, but a lot of times they are. And it may mean you're getting higher interest rates. If interest rates are on their way up, that could happen. So there are some risks in saving more money to put more down. You know, When you do the 5% down, you're able to acquire properties now. Sometimes you could lock in lower prices and lower interest rates. Now, if interest rates are coming down, it may work the other way. And if property values are correcting, if they're coming down, it may work the other way. But a lot of times we don't know. You know we could speculate, we could guess, but you know, if, you had, if you had asked me at the beginning of COVID, if property values were going to go up or down, with, the, with what seemed like the entire economy shutting down and our limited ability to get out there and show properties and all these restrictions on stuff, if you had asked me if I thought property values were going to go up or down, I probably would have told you down. I would have thought, hey, you know, I, I don't know for sure, but you know, if we can't show properties, if it's harder to show properties, it might be harder to actually move. Might be harder to, you know, when the economy is completely shutting down and a lot of people are losing their jobs and a lot of people look like they were getting sick and dying. I mean, you you could have argued that, you know, end of the end of times, <laughs> the real estate market's gonna crash. What happened? Not that hard to predict sometimes, really hard to predict. Okay. All right. So how to avoid private mortgage insurance? Put 20% down. Really easy. Or if you already had a loan. You could pay down your loan balance so that you are below 20% loan to value. Oh, sorry. So you're below 20% equity, not loan to value. Got to rephrase that. I'll say 80% loan to value. Look at this. Correcting in real time. So pay down your loan balance so that you're below 80% loan to value. Now, with FHA, can you do that? If you pay down your loan below 80%, can you get rid of your PMI that you have mortgage insurance premium on an FHA loan that you already have? The answer is no. FHA is one of those loans where you have to pay it off. You have to either refinance or sell the property in order to get rid of uh, your mortgage insurance premium. There are some exceptions. You know, if you go look at the FHA matrix, you can put enough down and there's some things that can happen where you do that. But if you're putting three and a half percent down to get an FHA loan, which is probably the, the majority of folks on here, especially if they're buying you know, duplex, triplex, or fourplex to try to minimize their amount down, then paying down to an 80% loan to value, either organically, just with natural mortgage payments, or putting extra money into the deal to try to get below 80% with FHA loan, you're not going to be able to do that. However, if you have a conventional loan, that you put 5% down or 10% down in order to acquire it that way, or 15% down. You want to buy a non-owner occupant one, you could do that too. And then you're like, hey, look, I, I made a mistake or I didn't have the money then, but now I have the money. I want to go actually go below 80% loan to value and get rid of PMI. You can do that. You can pay your loan down below 80% loan to value, request that the lender remove PMI, and we'll do a whole class on that. Okay, so you pay your loan down so that you get below that 80% loan to value, and that will allow you to get rid of private mortgage insurance. Which could significantly improve your cash flow. Okay. Another way to avoid private mortgage insurance is when you get your loan, you can voluntarily tell the lender, look, I will voluntarily take a higher mortgage interest rate if you give me a credit that you then use in order to pay a one time upfront mortgage insurance premium, a private mortgage insurance payment, instead of doing it monthly. So, you say, look, I don't want to do monthly PMI because it's really going to hurt my cash flow. One thing you could do, you could bring money yourself to the table and pay a one time upfront private mortgage insurance payment and not have a monthly PMI payment. That would improve your cash flow. Or, what a lot of people don't necessarily know is you could say to the lender, look, if I pay you zero points right now, interest rates are 6.5. However, if I, if I pay you $5,000, I can get 6.25. But it works in the other direction too, where you could say to them, listen, I will voluntarily take 6.75. You give me $4,000 and we'll take that $4,000 and we'll use that to make a one-time upfront PMI payment. And then I won't have PMI. So in other words, it looks like mechanically, it looks like you took, your PMI, and instead of paying PMI, you moved it to the interest rate of the loan. That's what it looks like. It looks like you voluntarily took a higher mortgage interest rate instead of paying the monthly PMI. And sometimes that's cheaper. Most of the time, it's not as good of a deal because the mortgage interest rate going up actually stays with you for the life of the loan, stays with you for 30 years. Whereas the mortgage insurance premium, the PMI that you're paying, the monthly, pay, the monthly payment you're paying for private mortgage insurance usually will go away once you drop below 80% loan to value. So even though the amount you're paying monthly might be higher for PMI, it's usually higher for a shorter period of time versus having your interest rate go up for the entire 30-year life of the loan or 15-year life of the loan. Usually you pay down below that 80% sooner and that PMI would then go away. So you got to do the math and calculate how long am I holding this property? And does it make sense for me to pay this PMI, a higher PMI for a shorter period of time or to take it all in the interest rate forever? And if you're getting rid of the loan, it may not matter, right? If you said, look, I'm only buying this property. I'm only gonna hold it for two years that I'm out. You can make a decision based on that. But be careful. Sometimes plans change. Sometimes we all say, hey, I'm only gonna hold this property for three years. And then we're like, Nope, this is an amazing property. I'm holding it forever. Man, I wish I hadn't done this uh, you know, PMI and the, the mortgage interest rate instead. I, I wish I would have just done the PMI. But sometimes it's hard to know in advance. Or sometimes we think we're going to hold a property forever and something in our life changes and we have to liquidate all of our properties. You have a divorce. You have some medical issue come up. You know, your kid needs money for whatever. You have to pay a ransom. I mean, who knows, right? Any of the, Any of those things could happen. All right, so how to avoid private mortgage insurance. You could get a loan that doesn't have PMI. For example, that, that VA loan. A VA loan technically doesn't have PMI. There's no monthly insurance premium, private mortgage insurance premium on a VA loan. Instead, what they have is a funding fee upfront. It's sort of like that lump sum upfront private mortgage insurance payment, except they don't call it that. They call it a VA funding fee. Because the VA guarantees the loan. What they do instead is they collect this big funding fee. And then if people default, they use all the funding fees they've collected in order to protect the lender. That's what they do. That's I mean, This is how the math works. Okay? Or the final one I have on my list, how to avoid private mortgage insurance. Do creative financing type deals. Owner financing, subject to, lease options, and money, contracts, You know, like all those, that whole family of the creative financing deals do those where they do not have PMI. Because if you go to an owner of a property and they own their property free and clear and you negotiate with them that you're only going to put 5% down in order to buy their property, are they required to charge you private mortgage insurance? No, it's negotiated. And I think a lot of them wouldn't even know to charge you private mortgage insurance So you can negotiate a deal where you put less than 20% down with a seller who's doing seller financing, owner financing, or wrap financing, and they're not going to necessarily charge you PMI. They may, it's negotiated, but in most cases, the overwhelming majority of cases, they're not going to do that. Okay? So that's how you avoid PMI. So in conclusion, lenders prefer you put 20% down. I think we've established that, right? If you insist on putting less than 20% down, They may opt to make you the loan, but they may require you to purchase third-party insurance to protect them in case you default. They want to protect themselves. They're in the business of protecting themselves. This third-party insurance is called private mortgage insurance, PMI. You can choose to avoid it by putting more down or choosing an alternative type of financing that does not have it. It's really what it comes down to. So that's all I got for you. I hope you've enjoyed this special class on what is PMI and how do we avoid it? This has been James Orr. Have a great day, everybody. Bye-bye for now. With home prices up, mortgage interest rates up, and rents up, but not quite enough to counteract the higher prices and interest rates, cash flow on rental properties in Chicago is harder than ever. Book a call with the Real Estate Financial Planner to apply our proprietary 88 strategies to improve cash flow on your rentals. See the show notes for a link to schedule your call and improve your cash flow today. If you're a real estate agent, lender, or professional in Chicago that wants to help our real estate investor listeners, consider reaching out to learn about collaboration opportunities with this podcast.